the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab number 439 for Sunday, March 3rd, 2013. That's 3313. And welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show where you send in questions, tips, and cool stuff found. We answer your questions. We share your tips. We share tips of our own. We share some stories that we've had. And together, we all try to learn at least four things new about the Mac and other Apple products and really just enhance our computing life in general. Here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton. And here in flurry infested <laughs> Fairfield, Connecticut. John F. Braun. Not really infested. There were some, though. It was it was, it was kind of a weird thing. I was I was a uh, grilling some uh, uh, a late lunch up. That uh, yeah, there were little little snowflakes coming, but it wasn't a. That's good. Certainly not as serious as as a few weeks ago. That's good. I, I'm just happy. I have to say, John. Um, you know, there's a litmus test that I've been going through for the past several months, and and it is uh, the beginning of the show, and and I'm happy to say that I feel like I've got my greetings back. Because that whole thing that was going on with my throat really kind of impacted oh. my ability to do that, you know, and uh, and I had to sort of fake it and, and, and push and all of that stuff. Now, I don't think I had acid reflux, as it turns out. Um, I, I may have, but I know what was causing it. And I think it was actually just wrecking my throat. I had developed a, a bad habit, John. Uh, I had <laughs> I had developed I had uh, I for whatever reason, I'd gotten sort of addicted to cough drops. And, you know, me, I'm always looking for a deal. So uh, the only cough drops you can get a deal on at the pharmacy are the store brand ones. And the store brand ones are the, just the, you know, the generic ones that have menthol in them. And I really firmly believe that the menthol was was my problem. Now, whether the menthol was just wrecking my throat directly or causing some reflux that was then wrecking my throat, I don't know. And probably doesn't matter, at least at this point, because I'm, I've been off the meds since we got back from Macworld, actually. And... Uh, and it's been totally fine. So, so I'm just, you know, just wanted to menthol. share. I'm excited. Yeah. I, yeah. Who menthol. Yeah. Well, I guess it's good for an occasional spritz, you know, to, but uh, yeah, maybe enough for, for not. Huh. Well, well, I found other cough drops with pectin in them. That's much better for your throat. Actually, it's actually good for your throat as opposed to being, you know, bad for your throat. So, uh, so huh. that's, now, was, there, was there any warning on the, uh, uh, on the uh, cough drop container there to advise no. you that, you know, uh, no. uh, prolonged use may result. Uh, I, I think you got to get the lawyers. Uh, yeah. I, I don't have time for that. <laughs> <I know. laughs> All right. But you know what I do have time for is, uh, is to do Mac geek up for 39. So with that, uh, I do have a tip that Scott shared with us, John from uh, show for 37. We were talking about plugging in cameras, uh, iPhones and other cameras. And, uh, we had we were saying that you can turn off one camera. Uh, you can turn off. Uh, let me start this over. Uh, <laughs> what am I trying to say here? We You can have your your Mac launch an app when you plug a camera in. And what we had said was you can go into iPhoto and turn this behavior on or off and you can pick the app. But it's one app for all cameras. Well, as it turns out, that is not necessarily true. That is the default behavior. Uh, but. You can, as Scott points out, go into the image capture app 
And with your device connected, it has to be plugged in. Uh, you highlight the device and then down at the bottom uh, left of the image capture window, you get a little uh, drop down that says connecting iPhone in my case, because that's what was plugged in when I did this test opens. And then you get to pick whatever application you want. And you can set with this different apps for different devices. So, uh, so I found that very exciting. And, uh, and not only is it exciting from a configurability standpoint, but if you, uh, happen to be trying troubleshooting a Mac that opens image capture when you plug in one camera and iPhoto when you plug in another, this is where you change it. It is in the image capture app, which is included uh, with OS 10. So I wanted to share that. Thank you, Scott. I'd like that. Yeah. So, so that is then a, a finer level of control than you would otherwise get. So we pointed, you know, a few things out before. Of course, one was the import setting within, I think, either iPhoto or Aperture. I guess that's that's what we initially suggested. And then, you know, there's still though. I think there's another facet of this because if you look at something like default apps, which I also suggested can let you set these settings, it also has things that break down in a little different categories uh, in that you can say, okay, if a camera's inserted, do this, if a webcam, if a CD. So now it's interesting yeah. that it's in, in multiple places. So there are multiple ways to uh, redirect what happens when you put in a camera, which I find interesting. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. That's good. And uh, I will take this opportunity, John, before we move on to Matt's tip. Uh, it sort of summarizes a lot of tips that we got about something else. Uh, I will mention, I will say hello, actually, to everyone in the chat room at MacGeekGab.com slash stream. Uh, Kiwi Graham in the room said uh, back during show 437, I believe he tried to mention this image capture thing to us. But uh, but sometimes, in fact, oftentimes when we're recording the show, we don't always catch what is said to us in the chat room because we're working on recording the show. So uh, so thank you, Kiwi Graham and, and Green. Well, I think the thing that was pointed out also is image capture. The device has to be plugged in for you to get this extra level of control. Correct. Yes. And I guess that's where, where, yeah, some people are like, well, I don't see my device. And it's like, well, yeah, it has to be plugged. So, so this is almost, I think it's either a pref that's stored on the device or no, it's you know, stored on the in computer on, on behalf of that specific device saying, oh, okay, right. if you see this one, then do this instead. Okay. Yeah. Well, got it. All right. So we got a lot of tips about this uh, numeric keypad thing uh, issue from the last show. And uh, John, I, I think Matt's tip probably summarizes all of them that we got. So uh, so take it away. Well, pretty much in that. Uh, so the uh, problem was. Uh, the, the question was, the numbers aren't working in my numeric keypad. What's going on? And we had various suggestions. Uh, but then we got a whole bunch more. Because, uh, <laughs> yeah, well, the thing is, I the mean, high, the I'll high mind paid off. It was good. Yes. Well, yeah. I'll be honest in that I don't do pretty much anything with my numeric keypad. So, uh, so maybe I, I didn't dig as deep as I should, but our listeners dig deep. I think Matt dug the deepest and he found actually not one, but two articles on the, uh, uh on this phenomenon, uh, on the Apple, uh, support site or knowledge base. Yep. Uh, one is, talking about where there's something called mouse keys, which I believe is part of the, uh, uh, what the heck is uh, the subcategory? Universal access. So if you go to universal access, which has various things for uh, various uh, uh, disabilities or conditions to make it easier to use the Mac. And I think it's buried in there somewhere. If you go to the universal access and then the mouse tab, there's then a selection saying mouse keys on and off. And if mouse keys are on uh, certain keyboard behavior will change. So, 
Uh, that was the one suggestion. The other is, let's see, or numlock. Here's the other thing is that depending on what keyboard you have, the numlock key, which will engage or disengage numlock uh, functionality, it may not be entirely obvious how to do that because there's no key that has the word numlock on it. <laughs> right, right. I think that's what this said. Now, in some cases, you have to hit, uh, especially if you're on a portable, you have to hit the function key to make this happen. Uh, and on other machines, well, the article basically describes that uh, you may have to somehow enable the numlock feature in order to get the numbers to engage as well. Yeah. 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 Good and stuff. That's the summary of it, that's but it. it's on the Apple site because more than one person has, uh, has run into this. Yep. yep. So actually I look at my keyboard now, Dave, and none of my keyboards have the word numlock on them. So I know I, I can understand. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. Here. I use my numeric keypad all the time, uh, but I've never toggled it the wrong way. So I, I, I haven't needed to look this up for personal reasons, but obviously there you go. You know, I'll have to look somewhere because I know that uh, at least on the portables on mine here, I, I don't know whether it's an array of keys that start like IOP, KL, whatever, or on the other side of the keyboard. But when you engage, when you engage the mirror keypad, it, it takes a subsection of the keyboard and all of a sudden they're numbers. So, yeah, I, I, I don't really. I just hit the numbers and I, I hope for the best. <laughs> I would imagine the benefit of using the numeric keypad is if you're good at it, you have better accuracy than trying to do it uh, via traditional typing because all those keys are way up there on the keyboard. And yeah. It's easy yeah. to miss sometimes. That's right. That's right. Yeah. All right. Uh, I do want to jump now to our first sponsor, which is Smile at smilesoftware.com. And today I get the privilege of talking about PDF Pen for. Well, for every Apple device uh, that can run an app that you might own. So uh, PDF Pen for the Mac is where it all started. PDF Pen lets you, in a general sense, edit PDFs. And what do I mean by edit them? Well, say you've got a common use case for me is I get a, a contract in and I need to sign it and then I need to send it back. Now, I have a printer and a scanner and a pen. And so I can print it and sign it with my pen and then scan it back into a P another PDF and send it off. Two things happen. Number one, a that wastes paper at the very worst uh, and then makes this large file because now I've scanned this thing in. And and two, it's just a pain in the neck and I have to be in my office to do it. Can't do it from the road. Can't do it anywhere. So I uh, have to be here in the office with PDF pen. I have my signature scanned once and I save that into PDF pen and then when I get a contract, I launch PDF pen, find the spot where my signature needs to go, paste my signature in. I can also paste in type text. So if I need to fill out like a date or my name or my title or my phone number or whatever else they might want on this form, I can do that even if it's not a PDF form. And that's a really important thing. If it's a PDF, you can fill out text on it, even if the original author didn't make it into a form. And then once it's done, I save it. The great part is, yes, my signature is graphic, but the text that I've typed on there is text. So very, very small space uh, usage. In fact, probably almost nothing. And then uh, and then the PDF is still the PDF in the background. So that uses up, you know, kind of minimal space, too. So not only is it way faster and more efficient time wise, it's actually more efficient space wise than rescanning the whole thing in too. Uh, so that that's probably the thing I use it for the most. 
Uh, what is cool now is if you have an iPhone or an iPad, you can get PDF pen for those devices too. You can share things via iCloud. I can put my signature out there. So I have it in all places. I can put a PDF in iCloud and then edit it on my iPhone and then see it on my Mac. You know, all of that stuff that iCloud does so well, PDF pen takes advantage of. And, uh, and it really does work. One of the, one last cool thing that I will leave you with here is PDF pen gives you the ability to edit text in the original PDF. Uh, now, I mean this, you know, with great power comes great responsibility. You can use this for whatever <laughs> you want. Right. Uh, so I will, I will leave it to you to, to be judicious about this. You don't want to start changing contracts uh, and, and, you know, kind of finagling people, but it is really handy if you get something and there's a, a, you know, if somebody delivers you a PDF and you realize, oh, you know, they didn't like sometimes with Backbeat Media, you know, we capitalize the second B in Backbeat. And sometimes I'll get something and everything else will be perfect. But that one B is lowercase. And it's like, dang it. I don't want to have to go back to the original author and ask them to change it because not it's just going to take time. I've got the thing right here. I just need to change that one letter. Boom. And that's what I do. And you can do it right there inside of PDF pen. So that is uh, PDF pen for the Mac iPhone and iPad start at smilesoftware.com. You can get a free trial for your Mac. Obviously, if you want it on your iOS device as well, you've got to download it from the store, but uh, you can start with a free trial. And then when you're ready to roll on your Mac, it's uh, it's just 60 bucks, actually 60 bucks minus a nickel. So uh, 59 95, but start at smilesoftware.com and, and go from there. I think you'll be happy that you did. And uh, with that, uh, I'm going to jump to, well, we'll, we'll move right down the agenda, John, which brings us to Frank. And Frank has a question that will then kind of dovetail into uh, a question from Steven. Frank's looking for advice on how to, uh, well, I, both of them are looking for advice on what they should do to configure the new IMAX that they're going to buy. And uh, with Frank, he says, uh, I'm going to have to buy a new Mac soon. I'd love to hear your thoughts on a couple of questions. First, I'm really interested in the new 21 and a half inch iMac, but I'm on a pretty tight budget, so I won't be getting a fully optioned model. I'll probably have to choose between the 16 gigs of RAM option or the Fusion Drive. This will be one and only the one and only real computer for a family of four, two adults and two teens. There are a few iOS devices in the house, too. I anticipate setting up the iMac with four regular user accounts and based on existing usage patterns, I expect four users to be signed in at all times with iTunes open, probably Safari and mail too. under these conditions. My current G5 slows to a crawl and I have to sign into each user account and close applications to get things running acceptably. Well, my practical side suggests that more Ram is the best answer, but my emotional side says, get the fusion drive, which side is right. Okay. Uh, and then he asked, should I use migration assistant to get over there? And, and in short, yes, uh, you, you that's the right answer. Migration assistant. So, but as for the fusion drive versus Ram, you didn't say how much you'd get if you didn't get the 16 gig. I think it would mean that he's getting four gigs. I, if I'm, if uh, somebody can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that is the, uh, the, the, the base amount on that machine. Um, but with four users logged in all the time, your practical side is correct. You're going to need that RAM uh, because otherwise you're going to be in the same boat that you're in now wanting to quit apps and, and all of that. Uh, yes, the Fusion Drive is going to make 
the the whole swap out page out thing a little bit faster and a little bit better. In fact, perhaps even more than a little bit. It might make it a lot bit better. But either way, uh, you are going to be running up against a RAM wall and that's just not efficient. So uh, that's if, if you have to choose one or the other and you can never add to the machine, go with RAM. However, six months down the road, it's much easier to upgrade the RAM than it is to upgrade to a fusion drive in that. I don't think Apple will let you upgrade to a fusion drive down the road. It's just not possible. So if you really want the fusion drive, I think you, you could probably deal with that for a little while and then, you know, keep an eye on Ram prices. Ram from Apple tends to be way more expensive than Ram from someplace like OWC, you know, at MacSales.com. Uh, so that might, you might be able to have your cake and eat it too. Even if you have to wait a couple of months to save up the extra cash for the, uh, for the, for the additional Ram, you, you know, you might be, you'd be able to make it through for a little while. It's going to be better than your G five. Uh, and then you get a little boop, a little boost down the road. So that's my thoughts. I don't know about you, John. Those are good thoughts. Mm. And I would say to, to summarize here, the, the very first thing you want to look at is the amount of memory. Now, from what I can see, Dave, I, I looked up the latest uh, iMac uh, specs, and it sounds like they, they come default with eight gigs. So I would say that's oh. the. So I'm going to say my guidance just in a nutshell for no particular reason here. If you're a single user, you want to have at least four gigs, uh, preferably six, because I find that's uh, kind of the cutoff point, but, but not all Macs can be configured for that. But uh, my MacBook Pro, I found it was a world of difference between four and six. Uh, the mini I have, uh, thanks to, uh, I think it was, I hope it was crucial. That was uh, nice enough to help me upgrade. Um, uh, Cause I got the, uh, the mini with two and uh, that, that was unacceptable <laughs> along with the hard drive I got with it. Uh, eight is much better. So I would say either four, eight, or, you know, if you have the room to go to 16, then uh, that's good. And it looks like these machines will, uh, will now let you, Oh, actually I see on one of the IMAX, you can go up to 32. 27 inch but yeah but he, not he the, 21 the 21 and a half yeah correct it looks like uh, for now at least officially it's only able to go up to 16 yeah now so, there there was a mention in the chat room chris humphreys in the chat room says uh you definitely can't upgrade the fusion drive and he thinks at least according to apple the rule of thumb is you cannot upgrade the ram uh after you buy it either however i do see a page at owc's site uh that indicates you can but I think uh, based on the kit that they are selling you to the toolkit that they are selling you with the Ram, uh, you can upgrade to 16 gigs uh, to eight gig chips for 150 bucks. And that includes the toolkit. We'll put a link in the, in the show notes, but, uh, but it comes, the, the toolkit comes with the suction cups, which means you're taking that screen off to upgrade the Ram. And I, and this, I remember. Mm-hmm. So, so yes, it is upgradable, but it's not, like it used to be with the with a screwdriver so you gotta suction cup that screen off and i bought two suction cups when i when i got my current imac john uh, Mm -hmm. because i knew at some point i was going to need i got three imacs in the house of of varying ages i have not used them yet they're still actually in the shrink wrap but uh but i've got them for that you know sunday morning at 2 a.m when i need to fix something and i've got suction cups (laughs) you know how that goes right i mean it's gonna happen so i I, I sleep then Mm. So, so there you go. There you go. Where was I here? So yeah, I make sure you get uh, first and foremost, make sure you get enough RAM. 
Yeah, that's my, that's my real advice. Uh, the, the thing is, if you uh, I'm imagining the scenario where you say, you know what? I think I got enough RAM, but let me get a, a high speed, either a, a fusion drive or a yeah. SSD or something. The thing is, if you don't have enough RAM, then what's going to happen, which could be bad, is although the SSDs are fast, if your system, because it doesn't have enough memory, is struggling, it is prone to swapping, then you're going to burn out that drive a lot faster than if you had enough RAM. Yeah, though, if you go the fusion drive, I stick to it. If you go the fusion drive route, you're going to be saving. You know, honestly, I think it saves swap to the SSD. Uh, So so, you know, you may be wearing that out more. But Uh, but I'll tell you, saving uh, saving swap to the SSD is awesome. I mean, it it does make a difference. Oh, it is. Oh, I agree. It is. But I guess we're, we're too early in the game right now to see what, if any, effect that has on long-term use that's right right because i don't think ssds have been uh out long enough for us to determine well you know if you're swapping the heck out of it does is the drive going to roll over and then your your system is dead yeah way before mechanical drive yeah i don't know yet yeah all right well hang on let's uh let's let's do this for him here then can we can take a moment john um or do you want to take the uh you want to take the next question and I'll I I because I've got some thoughts here on this. So uh I want to check well, something I know you out always on Apple site. Yeah. Are so you, are you it, talking Well it's two hundred it's two hundred bucks to upgrade the RAM from eight right. to sixteen from Apple and hundred and hundred and fifty oh, from doesn't seem bad. No, it doesn't. And considering the the headache you'd have to go through to do this, um it, you know, it's two hundred and fifty bucks for the fusion drive. Uh but I you know, honestly I'm not convinced of the the fusion drive thing. I, I I am hesitant about it. I know a lot of you have used it and it's working great, but when we get to the one year mark with these things and we start having irreparable disc errors where you have to not hardware errors, but just bad catalog errors and all that, you got to start from scratch in many more cases than you would with uh, with well. a, with a single drive set up so well you're trusting whatever algorithm they use to bond the drives together is robust enough no apple has said that if you run into more than just sort of uh cursory errors uh with the file structure that you've got to wipe it and start over and and that's bad yeah so yeah sounds like they're not using any uh sort of a raid like uh recovery mechanisms which well it's not raid it, I mean, oh, I understand. It's, 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 it's very tolerant. low. It's uh, right. It, it's stitching two Correct. different drives together, but not offering any guarantee of data integrity, which the other raids can may and can do. Yeah. To call it raid is 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 wrong, I think, because it's it's well, actually I, I would call it raid only in that the, the very basic raid can stitch drives together. Right. But this isn't so. even I mean, it's stitching them together in terms of how it presents it to you. But how it's choosing to put stuff on the drives is actually intelligent. Right. It's not just saying spread okay. it out. It doesn't matter. You know what I mean? So there's more to it there. It's cool. Um, but I would I would actually I'm going to I, I would stick with my my original thought. Go with the RAM and add an external hard drive down the road. So there you go. Yeah. Okay. Well, that machine has a, I would think a Thunderbolt or whatever, mm-hmm. whatever interface you'd like to use. And then uh, we yeah. can go to uh, Stephen and Stephen who had similar questions or yes, similar another, questions in the, in the same vein through a different lens here, because he's looking at a different aspect of performance on the machine. So 
Stephen writes, is there any real need for me to spend money on a 3.4 gigahertz i7 versus 2.9 gigahertz i5? I want a fusion drive, but just curious how big, uh, uh, how much of a notice, noticeable difference I'd see in the machine's uh, performance uh, with the different processors. The most heavy lifting I do is transcoding and encoding with Handbrake, which I do regularly. I'm currently using a 2008 MacBook. Uh, oh, MacBook, not even a pro. Okay, uh, 2.4 gigahertz dual core with four gigabytes. Well, so with any system purchase here or upgrade, especially because an upgrade, you can look at what you do the most and where your system may kind of suck, uh, whether it's processor or RAM or disk or whatever is, you know, where, where if you're using the right tools, either activity monitor or something like iStat menus, where is your system getting sluggish? Is it when it wants too much memory or too much processor or whatever? And that could kind of gauge, you know, your next person purchase here. It sounds like at least part of the time, what Stephen does is processor bound, which uh, I'll define as a task where it has the potential to max out your processor and the more the better. And again, you can see it with tools like iStat menus. You can see, oh, look, all eight of my cores are all consumed. Uh, maybe I... <laughs> now, if you're okay with the amount of time it takes, then that's fine. But I would say, um, if that's a concern, then get these. On the other hand, going from the system he was on, Dave, so we're talking... 2.4 gigahertz, uh, I guess, core two of some sort around 2008. But going to either of these, Dave, I think he would he would see a huge, you know, because the cache is bigger and the technology is more advanced and they got the hyper threading and all that. I would say going to either one of these because he's going to be blown away. So I yes. guess my only advice here. So so uh, if money is tight, I'd say you could probably go with the 2.9. It's it's going to be a world of difference. Yes. Although it's, it's only point you know, uh, five, uh, gigahertz, uh, you're, you're talking to, you know, newer, uh, sleeker architecture. Yeah, but that, um, yeah. Yeah. So I would say, um, I don't know. You want to go with the least, you know, probably, I mean, on the old machine, he said he had four. I, I don't know if that's quite enough. And then, you know, it's a, like I said before, that's touching against what I think. Well, is the but he's going to get eight. I mean, it, you, if you're getting a brand new iMac, it comes with right. eight. By default, he's going to get the eight. So yes. I'd say, yeah. yeah. So I'd say the eight is a good place to start. And then again, maybe you want to think, well, no, that should be, if it's a single versus the, the prior question where it was multi-user and we're talking multi-user support and stuff, right. then I think the extra RAM makes sense because you're going to have uh, people using, uh, at least duplicating some of what's, some of what's required for a user to just be logged in. So that's right. Yeah. Yeah, I've got so twelve to, in my in my iMac that I have in the office. Oh, yeah, that's an odd number. Yep. Well, I know it's eight plus four, but still, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah it's actually an even number, but uh, but that's just <laughs> nitpicking. Um, but I and I probably I agree with you. I think eight would be enough for me. I really enjoy the luxury of having those extra four gigs because I just don't worry. It's a one user machine. There's never two users logged in except for some weird troubleshooting situation or something. But uh, but it is my machine. Nobody else uses it. And uh, it's so nice to have that extra RAM. Uh, I can, like I said, I can just be lazy about it. And if I if an app wants to just bloat up and use up some RAM, it's like, yeah, whatever. I know it's inefficient, but I've got it. So I don't worry about it. And I can just sort of go on with my day. But uh, but yeah, otherwise, I, I think the, the stock aid is going to is going to work out well for him. I do want to mention one thing. You're using Handbrake on the new IMAX to uh, to. Uh, rip DVDs and 
one thing will slow you down, and that is the DVD drive, because there is something that's called Riplock. Well, it's been termed uh. Riplock. And, and the re- there, there's sound reasoning behind it, or at least uh, on the surface, there's sound reasoning behind it. You, your DVD drive there is smoking fast, way faster than it would need to be playing a movie. So when your DVD drive senses that you have a movie in there, it slows itself down. And the reason, or at least one of the reasons that it slows itself down is so that it's not whirring so fast and making your iMac mechanically louder than the movie uh, at the time that it's playing. But if you're mostly using this iMac to rip things and then watch them either on that iMac later or on a different device, you don't care. You just want it to read as fast as it possibly is willing. And uh, so you want to remove Riplock. And we've got a little article about that at uh, at TMO. So I will uh, I will put that there. So, yeah, that's that's the uh, that's the 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 trick there. Um. So let's sum that up a bit. And then, then I think Dave, we're going on to a, a little adventure you took. I did prompted, prompted by, well, I'm not sure what it was. I think it was you shaking your fist at your, uh, one of your computers because it was so slow and what, Oh, what could you do about it, Dave, to make the performance better? So I had, it's the iMac here in the studio and I was ranting about this, uh, in pre-show last week that this thing was getting slow. And I'm constantly putting large files out here, um, specifically these show files. And uh, and then uh, this week I had an app that totally ran amok uh, in terms of memory leaks and ate up like 25 gigs of swap space here. And to the point where I ran out, it ran, it, you know, it ate up my whole disk and I, I figured it out and I quit the app or force quit the app or whatever and, and got things back. But I realized, wait a minute, if OK, I finally hit the wall here. Um, and I've been putting, you know, large files on and off, on and off. And this machine is just dog slow to boot up. And it's, it's old. I mean, it's a, you know, it's probably a three-year-old iMac. And again, it's had this sort of weird use case with a lot with data coming back and forth to the drive. So I decided, you know, it's time to defragment the drive. Uh, for those of you that don't know, deep when a with a, now this is a standard hard drive. You never want to do this, nor would you need to do this with an SSD. So that's my first caveat. Uh, When you save data to the hard drive, it saves it out where there is space available. Uh, But this is a physical device and, and the space is in a certain spot and the heads of the drive and, and the analogy that I use, which is of course getting less and less effective over the years is that it's similar to a record player. Uh, And I know now I've lost, you know, half the audience, but, uh, but it, it spins and it has a little needle that moves around (laughs) And if you've got bits and pieces of your data all over the place, especially bits and pieces of the same file, it can be really slow to read that one file because it's got to jump the the head all over this platter to read. It would be much better if each file was contiguous. And and once it started reading the the all the data was right in a row and it didn't have to jump the head around or the, the needle around to go with the record player analogy. So, uh, so I thought, yeah, this is the right time. I'm going to defrag it. And so I launched, uh, drive genius and I knew it had a defrag utility and I just went in whole hog. I knew I had a backup, uh, which you'd always want to have before you defragment, because what's going to happen with defragmenting is it's going to move data all over the place. Once it's finished, everything's good, but there are spots in the middle where things are sort of held in Ram 
and, uh, and it's potential for losing data. So I ran this and it did something interesting, John. I figured it would run a check of the drive first, which it did. But really the first thing it did is it said, okay, I can tell you how fragmented your drive is right now, but because you're booted from this drive, I can't defrag it without you allowing me to reboot your Mac. Okay, that's fine. I'll let you reboot my Mac. So I hit the button. It quit all my apps as one would expect. And then it rebooted into uh, what I'll call verbose mode, where you're seeing all of the, what looks like terminal stuff uh, rolling along the screen. You never get the, the pretty graphic splash screen. And then uh, without much fanfare, it starts checking my drive and sort of counting percentages. And it found some problems with the drive and fixed them. This is with no user interaction at all after saying, yes, go ahead and reboot. Uh, and that took whatever, however long it took, 15, 20 minutes to check the drive, fix the drive, check it again, make sure everything was good. And then it started the defrag process again, just there, no fanfare, the very sort of bare bones terminal esque screen taking over the whole Mac. And, uh, and it slowly kind of counted through the, uh, the drive percentage wise. And I came back, I don't know, eight, 10, 12 hours later and it was finished and it was, you know, I booted it back up and up it came and, and everything was fine. And it, it's definitely faster. It definitely helped me here. And, um, so I, I re I, I defrag my Mac and I liked it, uh, which is the first time in a long time that I've even felt the need to do it. But, uh, but drive genius did it splendidly, albeit a little bit. Uh, I, I expected more fanfare about it. You know, I expected a graphical thing, but there's no reason for that. It just sort of did its job and then, and then came back to the graphics. So cool stuff. Yeah. Just wanted to no, share. I got to say, I, I, I like a uh, drive pulse, which invokes the uh, defrag if it feels it's necessary. Or yep. if he says, Hey, psst, by the way, your yep. drive's a mess. Yeah. You drive right. <laughs> you want to fix it? Yeah. No, I really like, uh, I really like the background aspect of it. And it does. The thing I like is it does more than the, the other utilities uh, in that it does useful things like a surface scan if you want it to and some other things. So, right. Right. Yeah, it was. It yeah, was cool. you know, it's funny because I used to be of the the mindset because I read some articles and the thing is OS 10 and Unix in general, depending on the file system, can do some optimization in the background. It does but do what but it, what. It, and yeah, it certainly does. But it's not it, depending on how you beat on your system. Right. I guess. But especially if you're doing lots of transfers with, you know, a huge variety of different size files and stuff like that. Your drive's going to be a mess. It's just going to be a mess. That's just how it is. Yeah. Yeah. There's no, um, there's no magic. As they pointed out though, this really isn't an issue with SSDs or no, I don't know about hybrid drives and stuff. It, it could be, but, but it's not an issue with uh, solid state drives because there's no head to move in that moving to any block on the drive is essentially, it takes the same amount of time. Whereas on mechanical drives, of course, if you know how they work, it's kind of like a record player. Now, some of you may be yeah. looking at us saying, what's a record player? And, you know, Google it. Come on. Right. right. <laughs> In that the, the, the head or the needle may take more time to get from one place to another. And that's where the optimization thing. Uh, well, as you said, Dave, I mean, you notice it. I oh, mean, definitely. <clears throat> I, I mean, it's it, it. It was funny before the show. Um, I was having an audio issue, which required me to just reset our USB audio interface. We have a Tascam US 1641 that we use as our as part of our thing. It's a whole convoluted deal. But anyway, I had to turn it off and turn it on. 
And I know from prior experience that when I do that, there's two apps I need to relaunch. One is Audio Hijack Pro uh, because it talks to this interface and it's just better if the interface does not go down and up while the app is running. And this the, the Skype is the other one. Skype takes a long time to load for me because I have I keep a lot of history in Skype and it stores all these logs on the disk and it's just got to parse through them. And uh and it was amazing how fast Skype relaunched before the show. It would normally have been a two or three minute process to get Skype to the point where I could like click on it and do anything. And it was a 20 to 25 second. I mean, it was just nothing in comparison. I, I launched it and it was like, oh, wait, it's finished. Oh, awesome. It was great. So um, it, one of the chilled storm in the chat room asked, did I turn off file vault first? I did not because I'm not running file vault on this machine. Um, this is a iMac that sits in the office. So if, uh, there's no great reason to run file vault. Uh, the only machine I run file vault on is my MacBook air, which has an SSD. So I wouldn't be defragging that anyway. So there you go. Where uh, are we? We are here at, uh, it's time to talk about gazelle, <laughs> our second sponsor. Um, at gazelle.com G A Z E L L E and gazelle is the place to go to sell your old Apple hardware. You've got an old iPod, maybe an old iPhone, maybe even an old MacBook pro or an iMac, and you're just not going to use it anymore. And you want to turn it into cash quickly, easily, reliably, and with a company you can trust. And gazelle is it. Uh, gazelle, just go visit their site. It's actually really, really cool. Uh, you go to, uh, go to gazelle.com and first thing you do is you click on what it is you want to sell. And it's really easy. And, uh, if you want to sell an iMac, you just click on the iMac. You can actually sell Mac minis and Mac pros to them too. It's not just iMacs for your desktop Macs. And of course, every model of, of laptop, uh, Mac laptop is, is there. And, uh, and so you click on iMac and, they want to know your processor and screen size, and they even show you how to get it with by going to uh, they give you step by step instructions if you don't know how to get that information. And uh, and then you tell it what you got, what size screen and boom, they'll come in. They ask you what the I'm doing this right now as we're as we're talking about it. They ask you if it's broken and or working and then fair, good or flawless. So, you know, normal use is good. And uh, they kind of detail what that is. And you say, okay, yep. And they ask you, okay, how big is the hard drive? How much RAM does it have? And what kind of optical drive? Is it a super drive? Does it have a keyboard and a mouse? All of this stuff. And then boom, they come back and give you a price uh, based on whatever specs you told them. If you like the price, and this is true of your iMac as well as your iPhone or your iPad, uh, then you say yes, and they'll ask you for your information, they'll let you create an account there, so you've got a way to track this whole process, and they'll ship you a box, free of charge. The box just arrives with instructions, how to pack it all in there safely, you pack it safely into the box, off the box goes, again, free of charge to you, uh, so you've, it, this costs you nothing in shipping, and the box is delivered to Gazelle. They open the box, they make sure, A, that what you said was going to be in there is in there, and that it's in the condition you thought it was in. And as soon as they do that, they approve your payment and you can get paid with PayPal or a variety of other methods. And boom, that's it. You got your money. If it's not in the condition that you uh, had told them, they'll tell you, hey, look, we saw this. You said it was good. We think it's fair. Here's what we're willing to pay you for, it, but it's your choice. 
And if you say, no, no, thanks. I, you know, I was willing to take the, the larger sum, but I want the, you know, I don't, I don't want to sell it. If it's going to be less than that, they ship it back to you all at no charge to you. So check it out. Gazelle.com. They've been a sponsor here for a long time. We've had uh, more success stories from listeners than I could uh, ever Im- have imagined because, uh, you know, usually you hear only about the complaints and I haven't heard any complaints. Uh, and, and we've heard tons of success stories from all of you. So, uh, so that's the, I've used it personally, but it's even better when, when I know that we're recommending something to you folks. Um, and yes, it's an, it's a, they're obviously they're paying for this spot, but, uh, but it, we really like to know that, uh, that the sponsors that we have here are delivering good products and, uh, and, and you have told us that gazelle is, so I'm really happy to have them continue on board here. So that is gazelle at gazelle.com and uh that's uh that's at gazelle.com all right uh ready to go into some photo stuff here john you want to go to todd nope no nope. okay well especially not todd <laughs> no no todd's awesome todd is a uh a regular on the twitters and uh on the podcast here and uh yep. also uh travels the United States in his uh, big rig. That's right. I always find fascinating. Yep. Um, <laughs> if it wasn't for trucks, we, we'd, what would we do, Dave? I don't know what we do. Well, Gazelle wouldn't work because uh, because the, that's how the stuff, that's how the boxes get to and from me is with trucks. So it's good stuff. Yeah. yeah. So he uh, talks about his uh, job uh, on occasion. Yeah. So. And you know, there's a follow-up, Dave. I put it in our special folder. Let me see if it shows up here. But I'll, I'll start off here, and then maybe okay. you could grab the follow-up. Okay. Um, and, and we'll see where we go from, from that. Yeah, go. I think I called it iPhoto follow-up. You may see it in our, you know what, folder. I'll find it. So, yeah. from Todd. So, Todd says, hey, ever so sneaky dudes that never get caught. Love the show. Still don't understand... Oh, okay. We'll skip that part. <laughs> well, he says he doesn't understand half of what we're saying, but neither do we, so... <laughs> Um, oh. right. Sometimes. All right. So I know this problem. Whenever I plug my iPhone five into my MacBook pro iPhoto keeps asking to import a bunch of photos that I've already imported. Not all my photos, just about a quarter of them. I thought maybe they've been deleted somehow, but I have verified that all of these photos and videos are currently in my iPhoto library. So what to do? There isn't an option in iPhoto to ignore these photos. There is only an import selected or import 143 photos. I assume that if I import them again, it will quit asking me to do it every time, but then I'd have to go in and manually delete 143 duplicates. And that's not a, not a good solution. So uh, I think that about wraps it up. He has a, like me, I think, or actually no, a similar vintage machine, uh, 2008 MacBook Pro running Mountain Lion 10 a and up to date with iOS 6.1.2 and iPhoto 9.4.2. Yep. So my advice which uh, I don't know if you got the follow up there. I David, did get the follow up. It was in our uh, our transporter folder. Yep. Good. Oh, it made it. Yep. No I problem. Didn't, I didn't see it or I may have missed the uh, notification, but what a cool little device. Yeah. Which we'll talk about again, maybe at some point. So, um, so basically I suggested here's one thing that in general may cause iPhoto to do this and that iPhoto has within it. So iPhoto or the iPhoto library Actually, if you open it up, and, and this is a strategy you can use for a lot of files here, but if you find it, so normally in your home folder, pictures folder, you will see iPhoto library. If you right click on it or control click or whatever, um, you will see 
uh, show package contents. If you do that, you will then see a folder called auto import. And I think this is basically a, a published way for apps that want iPhoto to import the stuff uh, to do so. So I suggested, well, look in that folder because I've actually seen this uh, happen in the past where if there's stuff in there or for whatever reason, some app puts something in there and it has the wrong permissions or it's corrupted or whatever, it's always going to come up and ask this question. So that was my suggestion. Unfortunately, Todd got back to us and said, well, I checked there and there was nothing. I saw the auto import folder, but there was nothing in there. And you got really close with this. Uh, I did some, I, not only did I read the PDF and see that Todd, that this just worked it for Todd, but I did some searching and I well, found several people reporting a solution so similar to what you suggested that it's almost a shame uh, that it's not what you suggested, but <laughs> did I get it? 90%. Well, yeah, it's, it's just, you picked, well, Todd, a, Todd you picked and the wrong I got folder. It. It, it's not the auto import oh. folder there. There is a folder either called import or importing. And that's where the auto import thing is for third party apps or, or uh, apps other than iPhoto to pump stuff into so that it comes into iPhoto. The, but when iPhoto is doing it itself, it uses this import or importing folder. And that's the trick. So you quit iPhoto, you go into the package, right? Click just like you explained. And, but, go to the import or importing, but not the auto import folder and clear, actually just take the folder. The the, the advice I saw uh, was just take the folder out of the package entirely. Uh, don't even empty it. Just take it and move it to the desktop and then close up the package and launch iPhoto. And that in theory should solve this problem. So hopefully it does. Ah, so close. Yeah, but that's okay. That we're, We got there. We're here. That's good stuff. All right, you want to, uh, while we're on the photo thing, uh, I, had, I had prepped this question from Louie for you. You want to, uh, you want to run with it? I can. Okay. If you can vamp first. I will, I'll read the question. He says, uh, ah, hi guys. Good. Uh, I made the big jump from iPhoto to Aperture just around the time Apple announced the unification of the libraries, meaning that Aperture can open the iPhoto library as well as the Aperture formatted library. Actually, this is what sealed the deal for me. I was in the process of moving small amounts of pictures from iPhoto to Aperture for testing when the unification was announced and implemented. Since my iPhoto library was over 100 gigs in size, I stopped transferring pictures immediately. Now I simply open my iPhoto library in Aperture. So my question is very simple. Are both libraries the same? Meaning, can I accomplish all that Aperture offers when I edit pictures that are in my iPhoto library with Aperture? I want to find out so I can decide if it's worth transferring all my pictures or just leave them because there's no reason not to. So, so the question is, is there a limit uh, because he's using his iPhoto library in aperture? And to, for that, my friend, I turn to you. <sighs> all right. Uh, you probably saw the link that I just pasted to our chat room, Dave. I didn't, but I do. I see it now. Good, because that is the basis of my answer. So I'll tell you the truth here is I have not done a lot of cross application work. Okay. And so I decided to, you know, whip out the Google Foo and say, hey, you know, I wonder if there's something online that can tell me about this. Sure. And I think I Googled iPhoto versus Aperture and I got an article which is actually almost 100% relevant to this conversation. Um. Well, yes and no, it, 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 it will convince you to use aperture, but it doesn't talk about whether or not your library is, is, uh, 
is is going to limit your library format is going to limit your options once you do. I don't think it will. I don't believe so, so either. So but I don't is, use it. So right. Well, based on my limited experience here, especially, and maybe I'll I'll start off with this, is that I initially uh tried to research this question, not realizing that on my new machine here, I don't have iPhoto installed, Dave. Oh, but I had really? an iPhoto library. So what happened is I actually was doing some experiments for some other questions, not realizing, oh my gosh, you know what? I'm editing my iPhoto library file, which I do have one, which uh, I'll admit that I actually migrated all my stuff out of my iPhoto library, or actually migrated and then deleted it yep. and brought it into an Aperture library because I just wanted everything in one program or database and you did this earlier before the unification before the unification now what what do we mean by the unification you may ask yourself and we're going to tell you because it's a little asterisk in this uh so one is that when i did the search for iphoto versus aperture one of the top things that came up which i'm glad it did because i i think it's it's it gets technical it's not all marketing is an article from apple which is basically <laughs> titled picture your photos even well now that's marketing stop it guys all right but basically it's an article that talks about what'll happen if i have iphoto and aperture libraries and it really goes into detail about it yeah uh, I, the, I just the, read the that i read the article we're talking about knowledge-based article well it says using a unified photo library with iphoto and aperture and we'll put it in the show notes but it it's in fact, they encourage you to do it this way. It's not that it's it it won't limit you. It actually gives you more options because you can use Aperture to consolidate all your libraries together. And then you've got one master library that you can open in Aperture or in iPhoto. And uh, and it's going to work just fine. So it, it is not not just a good thing to do, but it is Apple's recommended way of doing things. Right. The only thing they say here, again, the asterisk sharing photo libraries requires Aperture 3.3 and iPhoto 9.3 or greater, obviously. Right. So my answer would be, I mean, I'm kind of torn on this, Dave. I mean, if you got stuff and it's working, but because uh, unless you need to do the extra things that uh, they say one program is typically better at like improved filters and stuff like that. I don't know. I guess initially out of the gate, I'll, I'll actually admit I'm kind of nervous about two different programs sharing a library. And you know, what if one makes a change that the other one doesn't understand? I think so, I would say in this case, I mean, they're both, it's not two programs from, it's not even two programs from sure. the same third party vendor. It's two programs from Apple. Mm. You know, I, I, I think we're okay on this one because I don't think they, they know that their, their support, you know, queue is going to be full if there's, if there's issues here. So I, I right. think this is, I, this makes sense to me. This is the right way to do it. I think. All I would say is that, well, no matter what direction you take, whether you want to keep an iPhoto library or an Aperture library or now that they're kind of the same thing i i guess my, my only reservation is that if you if you do operations specific to one program one program or another with a shared library is this going to trigger some catastrophe and i haven't seen it happen but i just you know i'm a software type of guy so i figure <laughs> so 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 if at all possible if you don't need the functionality from one of the programs 
like iPhoto doesn't really offer a heck of a lot, if anything, extra, I, I think, except like being able to do calendars and stuff like that. So unless you got a really good reason to keep it in iPhoto, I actually would say, and I made this decision, I'm like, you know, ditch it. I think we're going to disagree on this one. Good. good. Yeah. And that's good. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> on the other hand, whatever you do, have a backup of the library in case you make the wrong decision. Now, oh, as far course. as I'm concerned, I've made the right decision that I abandoned iPhoto. I think I have a copy of it somewhere, but I'm, I'm pretty much using an Aperture library file. Though I can still access it with iPhoto if I need to. But right. I, I <laughs> guess I the- said, I got to remember to install it because I haven't reinstalled it on my new machine yet, Dave. I, I guess the reason, you know, uh, a Apple says it works and, and it's actually their recommended sure. way. So that's that's number one. But number two is I'm a big fan of Fat Cat Software's iPhoto library manager. And uh, I think that I, I off the top of my head, I don't know, uh, but I think that only works with iPhoto libraries. I don't think it's been updated to work with Aperture libraries. So the unified library. Well, the unified library is the iPhoto library there. That is that mm-hmm. is the unified. Right. So if you have the unified library, iPhoto library manager can be your saving grace if you need more advanced troubleshooting than Apple's utilities offer. And you can dig right in with this thing. And uh, whereas if you're in, in your case, you, you're out of luck They're, you know, you can't use this to, uh, to, to fix any problems that you might have. So that, but like I said, it's, we will agree to disagree and, and uh, that's a good thing. But it's, a, it's really a good article though, because they really hit on all the points that I think are really important to people making the decision, you know, one or the other yep. or both. Yep. All right. Uh, Sam has a, uh, a question. And I'm hoping that uh, some of our more Unixy people in the chat room, uh, MLV, I'm looking at you here, might help me uh, if if I get if I get in the weeds with this one. But uh, Sam says, I recently noticed that my mid 2010 17 inch MacBook Pro is using a chockload of memory, even from cold startup and in test user accounts, the same Activity monitor and iStat menus display the main culprit to be kernel underscore task as the process. I've done a safe boot and Onyx clear all my extensions and caches and clean and all of that stuff with no joy. I then uh, did a kext stat to see exactly what was running, filtering the Apple extensions out. I got to see what else was there. Uh, He says, I've found reports and forums detailing the ballooning of the kernel memory and CPU usage in recent OSs. However, I checked my old Snow Leopard boot clone and it was only running with 200 megs to the kernel. And right now I'm running at about 800 megs to the kernel task. Uh, Any ideas to help? Uh, I'm a music producer, so I'm constantly stifled by the max of eight gigs of RAM in this machine. And every megabyte is precious. So um, here's the thing. And this is, you know, this is one of those situations where the the extra four gigs in my iMac at the office pays off. But uh, but I have seen this. This is you are not alone, Sam. In fact, I would say this is normal behavior. Uh, It's always chewing up RAM. In fact, at the time that I uh, initially saw Sam's email, uh, mine was at over a gig in size. It was at just over a gig. Uh, but I hadn't rebooted the machine in about 15 days. Uh, mine's mine's about 500 to give you a benchmark that okay. the gig is not outrageous. I mean, mine's at 500 megs. So. That's what that's what mine's at on the iMac here, too. Um, so, and you know, I think we're he's in the right realm. Um, 
he says, uh, you know, so I, I, but I think this is normal is, is what I'm getting at here. Now, uh, MLV in the chat room, uh, he's one of our resident Unix experts and he says external devices will cause this to, to balloon up presumably because we're now loading additional drivers into uh, memory space that the kernel's using. And, and so, you know, especially if one of those has a memory leak or is just otherwise uh, sort of greedy with Ram, then that would, uh, that would get us into that kind of situation. But, uh, but I, I, I don't think there other than, and, and you're probably not using many, if any external devices um, with a MacBook, uh, but you might be. And so that's, that's one place to go. And, and so yeah, MLV says, try booting without any devices attached and see where things start and, and go from there. So I don't, uh, but I, but it unfortunately is normal to have you know, like John and I are both seeing, you know, 500 megs plus it just, it's mm-hmm. just a larger kernel than it, than it used to be. All right. Uh, John, you had, and thank you, MLV. I appreciate that. Uh, it's great. Well, what do I have? Oh my gosh. Here. I gotta, well, I gotta get something ready. <laughs> you had, you had an issue, uh, in, in, I think it was the last show we talked about where your, uh, you couldn't edit your mail rules without turning iCloud off, uh, and then edit and then, and then turn it back on. And, and a couple of things happened. Number one, I did not realize it, but uh, several listeners pointed out that iCloud does, in fact, sync mail rules for yeah. all of us. Curse yes. you. Curse you, iCloud. I know. <laughs> in my case, because it doesn't work right. Right. But I think someone uh, sent you down a path that, that, uh, that solved your issues. Right, John? No. Oh. Well, not all of them, but some of them. Okay. So another John. You know, I've got the John thing going on. I mean, the, you know, the John clan is is pretty tight here. So, uh, yeah. Anyways, um, John wrote me, John, I can help you, or so he thought, with the issue you are having with iCloud and rules sync. Go to home directory, library, mobile documents, com-apple-mail, and delete that folder. It will fix your issue, and that's where you can go and muck with iCloud if you have any issues. So, John, I appreciate the the advice, and I actually went one step further, which I think I should have, because in my case here, something's wrong. So, if I go to my home folder, library, mobile documents, I not only see that folder, which is com-apple-mail, but a whole bunch of other folders. Here's the bad news, Dave. I yes. saw them with a do not enter sign. Hey, that... that- is a good thing. I mean, it's not a good thing because it means that they're unwritable, but that would actually make sense that you wouldn't be able to let your changes persist. So uh, this is right. Right. So that's good. And, and actually John wrote back to me after I said, here's what I'm seeing. And he's like, yeah, things are messed up. And I'm like, you know, I haven't responded, but my response would be, yeah, <laughs> now what? <laughs> but what I did is I deleted all of those files in that folder, and this may be getting very close to these sync services, uh, like <laughs> yeah, swarm of bees, <laughs> swarm of bees don't touch. But I'm like, you know what? Everything in this folder is screwed up anyway. So why don't I delete it and see what happens? Sure. And if anything, it did help my problem in that. Uh, so the problem I had before was not only could I not save rules, and that if I save them, they would disappear. And the next time I started mail, which was incredibly aggravating that I spent the time to define a role and that it went away. Yeah. But the other bad things that happened, like it being locked um, 
on a uh, spam setting or, or junk mail yeah. or any of the other preferences would also not save. So at least doing this got me one step closer to Nirvana in that my prefs would be saved. My rules are still screwed up, but this brought me one step closer to finding <laughs> to, to getting to the way the system should work. Interesting. Cause I look in this folder now it it's important to note that it, the home library mobile documents folder once you load that uh, and open that up in the finder, the header will not say mobile documents anymore. It changes. It'll say iCloud. Right. And this isn't is. Isn't that creepy, man? This now is. That's, that creeped me out, too. This is actually a. a um, this is. This folder is synced amongst all your Macs in the same way that a Dropbox folder would be. It just magically syncs. So anything you put in here. Uh, will sync to all of your other Macs. Now, I don't recommend using it like a Dropbox account because who knows what Apple's going to do with this folder down the road, but you can, and it works. It, it, it So if you're willing to, you know, kind of throw caution to the wind, works just fine currently. You know, there's the caveat. Uh, so, uh, but I looked in here and I looked at the com tilde, Apple tilde mail folder. And in there, there is a, a file called ubiquitous underscore synced rules dot P list. Uh, I wonder if, and if I look at that file ish, yeah, it's got all my rules in there. So that's great. Uh, thanks for telling me Apple, but I uh, can't see that. I'm telling you, man, on my no, machine, no, on my MacBook in, pro it's in iCloud. It's so it's in mobile documents, uh, mm-hmm. com dot com dot tilde, Apple tilde mail data, right. uh, mail data. And then there's three right. things there for me. I have signatures. Yeah, folder. What I'm saying is I can't open that initial folder because it's marked as do not enter. Yeah. That's still me. even after you. Okay. So yeah. that's, but that's my thing yeah. is think about where I, where I'm going with this. Think about what I said before. This folder is synced amongst all of your Macs. So if it's messed so one up, one of my other Macs is screwed up. Bingo. So here's what I would do. It's my mini running that antiquated operating system, which is the one before. <laughs> Uh, that's the problem Dave I should have listened to you man but I didn't uh, you know, I yeah, but it wouldn't, my, my it Mac wouldn't. mini running lion is is just wreaking havoc right and left that's mm. what I think is happening well but just do the same thing on your mini that you did on your MacBook Pro right. go in but I didn't see the folder it didn't exist oh. what's up with that well know? maybe it's only mountain lion that syncs these things well, but I have iCloud on my uh, mini. Right, but, but maybe iCloud on folder. Maybe iCloud on Lion does not sync mail rules. Uh, I, I, I'm just speculating here. Yeah, you know. Hey, I, hey I'm with you. Yeah, yeah, we're on the same team, man. I, yeah, that's right. What's going on? You're, you're darn tootin' we are. You may have to call <laughs> Apple. Well, it, if it's so, if it's not on your your Mac. It's syncing from iCloud, right? From the cloud. Right. So because you, when you I whack this folder, it downloads, it downloads again, stuff that's like all screwed I'm like, now have ah. you tried changing permissions? Like not deleting the folder, but just yeah. uh, like going to the terminal yeah. and no, changing permissions. Yeah. No, it's okay. No, all right. No, just. All right. So then, yeah, the you cloud, you, the cloud thinks it's, it, it knows the cloud is the master. It yeah. But it doesn't. In this case, it's it's whacking things where it's like, oh yeah, okay, those folders, those permissions, yeah, I'll, I'll take care of that. And it's yeah. like, uh, no, yeah. no, yeah, it's now. Bad. What did you do? All right, all right. Um, 
I can't decide where to go here. I know where I'm going to go. Uh, we're going to we're going to stick with the plan, and we probably have time for one more thing. So, uh, Brian wrote in, and he has a question that hopefully will lead us to make two points about uh, mm. about routers. He says, "I have a router that continually drops the wireless band. It's a TrendNet gigabit router that's directly connected to the Comcast modem. The router feeds my whole network." Four Ethernet cables off of this feed two switches for printers, a desktop PC, home media. Uh, and then I have a time capsule for wireless Apple TV and another TiVo. The time capsule generates its own wireless network, which I strictly run in the five gigahertz setting for the devices that can take advantage of that while giving all of its power to the one radio. This runs issue free, as does everything wired. My problem is with the wireless network, the TrendNet router generates. It drops off, gone, within a day of resetting the router. Cycling the, the power on it resets the network, but within a day, it's gone. This unit's about four years old, and I have never updated its firmware. I had this problem started a couple of years ago when I had no security, but it went away when I added WPA2 password uh, on the network. I chalked it up to being hijacked by neighbors who are overloading the bandwidth. It is an old router, uh, or is it an old router issue, a firmware issue, or something else? Uh, he says, while I have you, I run two wireless networks, the Apple network described above uh, and the TrendNet network, which just runs in the 2.4 gigahertz realm. Both run 802.11n. I figured this covers all my devices and gives better power and bandwidth by dedicating the networks to just one band. Devices that use B connect to my TrendNet router uh, because that's in 2.4 and devices uh, that handle 5 gigahertz connect to my time capsule. Okay. So uh, I'm going to go in reverse order. As far as your routers are concerned, your time capsule, I believe the model of time capsule that you have is one of the relatively newer ones that has two radios in it. Uh, it can do and, and by two radios, I mean that it is capable of running 2.4 gigahertz and five gigahertz simultaneously. If in fact this is the case, and this is true with your time capsule or any other uh, dual radio router. It is a dual radio router, meaning if you choose to only run five gigahertz, you're turning the other radio off. It's not diverting power from one to the other or anything. There are two radios in there and you can run them both simultaneously. They're built to run simultaneously. So if you want to run 2.4 gigahertz from your time capsule, there's no reason not to. It's not going to interfere with the five gigahertz in any material way. So, so that's step one. And while we're on the subject, I always like to point out because I do see it confused. Brian didn't confuse it, but I do see it confused. 802.11n will run in either 2.4 or 5 gigahertz. Again, 802.11n is not limited to just the 5 gigahertz band. And in most cases, if you can run it in 2.4, that's what you should be running there too. Okay. So. That's a lot to digest, so we'll, we'll, we'll take a breather here, right? <sighs> right. Now, as far as the firmware on your router, uh, I, I understand the hesitation of updating the firmware. There is, and, and it's a very good policy, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Because updating the firmware on something could leave you with a router that is more uh, brick-like uh, at the end of the process if something fails and you now have a router with no usable firmware on it because there will be a point during the process where it's transferring from memory 
to the the uh, static RAM, the NVRAM on there, mm-hmm. and that can if that gets foobarred, it's over. Your router is a brick in most cases. But this is a process that these things are built to do. And in your case, I would definitely upgrade the firmware. You're having weird problems. That's why they issue firmware updates to solve weird bugs that people find in the field. And who knows why you're suffering from this, but maybe other people weren't. But uh, I would definitely start with a firmware upgrade because this router is driving you crazy. Uh, And the worst case is that it turns into a brick. And I realize I'm, you know, that's but you have a time capsule. So you could you get yourself back up and running if you do brick this thing. So uh, so in this case, I definitely go with with well, uh, upgrading. I just want to toss out one thing. Yeah, go with almost any device if they offer it, which Apple devices, from what I recall, do as of late before you upgrade the firmware. There is usually a way to save the settings of the device mm. as far as uh, what base stations and knows about the DHCP mappings and, and all the stuff that's. Uh, basically you do after you get the thing out of the box and you're like, I want to customize this for my environment, but there's almost always, I think it's usually on the Apple devices called save profile or something like that, but yep. definitely. Uh, I mean, it could be that you save it, you upgrade the firmware and then the firmware is so screwed up that it can't read back the old stuff, but you know, at least you tried. Yeah, no. And actually <laughs> that brings up a, a good point. It could be something about your settings on the router and perhaps unintentionally that are confusing things. So if you upgrade the firmware and the problem still persists, factory reset the router. You've got the new firmware on there, but oh. wipe out, no, wipe out all of your settings. <laughs> and uh, and you got to look in your router's manual to see the right way to do this. But uh, a lot of times it involves uh, what. It, what's commonly called a 30, 30, 30 reset, which means you take a, a paperclip and you push on the reset button on the router and you hold that in for 30 seconds. Now you're actually going to hold this in for 90 seconds. Once you push that in, the rest of the process stays in. Okay. This is a 30, 30, 30 reset. So for the first 30 seconds of holding it in, the power is still on. After that 30 seconds elapses, you remove power from the router. You wait 30 more seconds. You plug power back in. And then finally you wait the last 30 seconds. And after that is elapsed, you can remove the paperclip from the reset button. This is not a comfortable really? process. Yeah. That's a 30, 30, 30 reset. And not most routers. Nice. That, that's going to wipe it clean. Yeah. I take 30 seconds to uh, go to the, the roof and uh, toss it. Huh? Yeah. Well, <laughs> that's, that's one way. Yeah. But but, re, you know, wiping out your settings, obviously, if you've done a lot of customization, you've got to go back in and do that. Taking screenshots mm-hmm. of your router's configuration pages is a handy way to manually save that stuff. So, it, I mean, you've got to reenter it, but at least you're not reentering it from memory. You've got screenshots uh, either of your web browser window or if it's got its own app like like Airport Utility does. Uh, that's a good way of, of saving that. And I'm I've been known to do that myself. But uh so mm-hmm. there you go. That's the uh, that's my that's my advice for uh, for for routers. So good, yeah, man. And the uh, snow covered band. Snow, yeah, it's not, it's not. It actually hasn't been snowing here since probably about really? seven or eight o'clock this morning. Yeah. Huh. All right. <laughs> Uh, you can email us if you have a question, like all these great people did, or a tip or anything to share. You can email us at feedback at macgeekgab.com, John. That is? In case you didn't hear that, feedback 
at MacGeekApp.com. That's feedback at MacGeekApp.com, unless you are a premium member. And then uh, one of the perks, perhaps for some of you, uh, the biggest perk of being a premium member is the ability to use the premium at MacGeekApp.com email address. You can learn all about premium by going to MacGeekApp.com and just click the link there. Uh, that really is, uh, it was created for you out of, uh, if you've been listening to the show for a while, you kind of know the path of it. But if you're new to the show, it is the path for those of you that choose to support us directly. Uh, if you don't choose to, that's okay. Uh, you're here. We'd love to have you as a listener. Uh, you're part of the community. You, you interact with us. You can email questions. Uh, but, uh, but if you want to support us directly, we obviously appreciate that uh, very much. And the premium address is one of the perks that we can give back to you for your support. In addition to that, we do also once every six months or so send out uh, thank you gifts to those premium supporters that have hit uh, $100 in, in doma- donations. And uh, and again, this is totally optional for you. But for those of you that have, uh, in fact, we just closed the window on February 28th. We'll be sending out emails this coming week about uh about the first round of stuff that we're going to send out. Cool stuff found indeed. And it gives you... Nice. And it gives you that warm, fuzzy feeling that anybody gets by supporting their favorite geeks. It does. In fact, it gives... It's not just you. It's it's a... That feeling is is, uh, is, is shared because (laughs) you feel it and we feel it. No, really. It's a... I mean, we joke and we have fun with this, but, uh, but we really do appreciate it. And it really does help. I mean, it... It it does help uh, pay us to do keep doing the show, uh, in addition to our great sponsors. Uh, so, in fact, while we're here, I'll mention our great sponsors. That was uh, go. Yeah, well, we have BB Edit from Barebone Software. We have PDF Pen from Smile. We have Gazelle, of course. We have Squarespace with ten percent off uh, code of MGG two, and then of course we have uh, the File Transporter dot uh, com, the transporter that lets you create your own personal cloud. And the coupon code there is MGG for 10% off. And that really pays off there. So uh, so those are a fantastic sponsor. Yeah. What else? Um, what else? Facebook. Facebook.com slash MacGeekGab is where you can learn about when the next show, the live show, will happen. When the show notes are completed. And uh, just the general banter among all the uh, members of the MacGeekGab community. Um, there's the Twitters. If you're the Twitters. Facebook. <laughs> now, I'm not, I don't know if I'm going to talk about the app net, though you may, Dave. I'm, I'm still kind of stepping away from that. It's like, I already have Twitter. But anyways, if you are on the Twitter and you want to follow what's happening with the podcast, that's Matt Geekab. If you want to know about the, the uh, individual participants, I am John Abron. He is Dave Hamilton. The other guy is Pilot Pete. Uh, our pal Michael Johnston, I think, is Michael Johnston. That's right, right. and that's he, correct. Uh, does the enhanced, yeah, feed? Did he, I miss any? He also does. Uh, he also does getappler.com. G e t a p p l r. Com. So cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I will mention app.net. So alpha.app.net slash MacGeekGab is where you can find us there. Uh, we do have some invites. Do so, I have to? Yeah, man. 
Uh, do I, I got to Yeah. I already got Twitter. Why do I need a Twitter clone? So I've been using App for a while. And, uh, right. and Try I, to sell me yeah, your so, elevator speech. So it's it, I, the, the one thing you'll notice immediately versus Twitter is that it is a you, you get far more characters, almost double, right, to uh, to oh. express yourself. But it I, and I and that's perhaps part of this. But the other part is that it is a closed closed ish community. I mean, recently they've opened it up and you can get a free account. But prior to last week, it, you had to pay for an account and. Uh, and so the conversations there are far more in depth than what I tend to get uh, on Twitter. Yeah. Not that Twitter's bad, but I really like the in-depth conversations that can happen over on App.net. So I do have some invites. I uh, my paid account gets me uh, a seemingly you know semi-self-refreshing supply of invites. <laughs> so follow us on Twitter, and we will announce when we have invites, and we'll we'll send them out to you folks. Uh, when we do and I think I'll have more tomorrow uh, but uh, tomorrow is relative for all of you so there yeah. you go <laughs> uh, yeah so we're Mac Geek Gab over there and I'm Dave Hamilton over there on app.net and hopefully somebody else is not already John F. Braun over there you gotta you gotta claim your name man I'm gonna kick their ass <laughs> Okay. They can't. I, I, I mean, that's almost copyright infringement at this point. Uh, so maybe it, I should grab it. Yeah. I'll send you an invite. Okay. Because uh, I know I have I have some. I saw it get refreshed I last night. I think you night. got a bucket load. It's just do I want to commit myself to the. I, I guess I'm not grokking it yet. Yeah. Well, you got to play with it. You got to play with Why it. Why do I need a parallel. You know, well, I am because you need a parallel universe. It's like what us fringe fans do now that fringe isn't there. We have our two universes that we can live in. So, well, they're good. still there, as far as I know. They haven't gone yes, away. That's right. Their that's state right. is just in question. All right, what are we talking about? So, uh, you can join us at slash stream That happens on Sundays, typically, uh, either in the morning Eastern time at about uh, nine fifteen or five fifteen if we do it in the evening. Um, it's good stuff. We really appreciate you folks listening. It is uh, it is a pleasure and an honor to do this show for you each week. And thank you, John. And perhaps as thanks, is there? We've shared a lot of advice in the show. In fact, this was a this was a killer show. But is there one last piece of advice that's sort of universal? Perhaps that, that the, perhaps the best piece of advice ever. That you can share. And I know I'm putting you on the spot. I, here. Uh, oh, no, no. <laughs> I think you're right. Is that you may actually want to consider um, getting caught. Don't get caught. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Made up.